Hi, and welcome to episode 33 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I am your co-host, Matt Larson. And uh, I'm Cricket Lou, your other co-host. We never quite do that intro the same, so it's always just a little awkward. <laughs> I guess it is. I hope our legions of listeners will forgive us that lack of polish. Well, that's what makes it kind of fun. Is <laughs> it's very too seat much of the pressure. pants. <laughs> yeah. So, it's been uh, a little while <laughs> since our last recording. <laughs> yes, it has. I think, hadn't we, at, at, at the time of the last recording, hadn't we sort of dialed back our expectations to, <laughs> I think we'd said some time ago, we're going to try to do one a month, and then I think we, <laughs> we, uh, we walked that back a little bit, and now we're God knows where, right? Yeah, I don't even like to think about it. However, there has been a development with a capital D that might increase the chances that we can record more regularly. Yes. Why don't you describe that development with a capital D? Well, after 13 years, I have left VeriSign. Holy Toledo. 13 years. Can you believe it? It was that long ago we sold Acme Bite and Wear. That's amazing. That That is really... I, it, it makes me feel very old. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my joke is VeriSign got my 30s. Mm, mm-hmm. And they mm. basically did. So, I hope you're happy, Verisign. So do you want to... Oh. Best years of my life. <laughs> do you want to tell our listeners where you are now? I suppose I should. I am now chief architect at Dyne. At Dyne. And yes. for those folks who haven't heard of Dyne, what and where is Dyne? Well, where is Manchester, New Hampshire, of all places, which is... Uh, I don't, I don't even know. Is what, about 50 miles? Is it that far from Boston? Maybe a little closer than that? Yeah, that sounds about right. It's yeah. like just far enough to the northwest of Boston that it's not really a suburb anymore. It's its own place. Right. And uh, Dine is uh, started out as, uh, well, it's done many things over the year, actu- years, actually. It's, it's probably best known now for... Uh, being a managed DNS service provider, mm-hmm. uh, but we also do uh, email delivery. So basically we're an uh, infrastructure as a service company and growing fast. Right. Great young management team there and uh, a really fun work environment. Yeah, it's, it's like a little piece of Silicon Valley dropped in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. And neat offices now in that uh, big old mill building. Yeah, it's a former uh, cotton mill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Four stories, big brick building. You know, the ceilings are about 30 feet high. Well, not really, but I mean, they're big high ceilings. Yeah, yeah. And the building is old. It's like 1860 or 1880. I mean, it's it's wow. well over 100 years old. Wow, yeah, yeah. A building like that around here would have long since collapsed into a heap of bricks. Well, that's what you get for... Living in earthquake country. That's right. That's right. Well, shall we? I, I have no interesting updates for our listeners. So <laughs> I guess I should just get on to the business of rustling through the mailbag. Oh, I'm not even going to. I have a. This is a copy of Smithsonian. Um, uh, and uh, going for our first, our first email, uh, which is from Jason Weber. Um, who says, good morning, I have a vexing question regarding DNS and multiple hosts or vendors. It's all the more complicated because we are a public school with a .us domain. 
He says, uh, our public school domain, which is uh, ctsd.k12.nj.us, currently has DNS records hosted by CenturyLink. CenturyLink is our ISP, and it's my preference that we keep our DNS with them. However, we are looking to move our website, www, to a third party on a virtual private server, DreamHost, and this particular package does not provide a dedicated IP address. DreamHost has instructed us to point our domain to their DNS servers, essentially making them our ISP of record with the .us registrar. This seems like overkill. Is it possible to keep our DNS with CenturyLink and just direct lookups for the new www host to DreamHost's DNS servers? Many thanks, Jason. Well, the answer is, of course, yes. Yeah. Luckily, he was talking about www.ctsd.k12.nj.us. Oh, what were, oh, you were thinking of delegating that name to, uh, to DreamHost? Oh, well, yeah, that was what I was talking about. What were you thinking of? Well, I was thinking just uh, tell DreamHost to cough up, uh, cough up an IP address, and they could put the uh, A record in, uh, in the zone. Oh, well, my, I mean, I, I took, I took his question to mean, uh, when he said they do not provide a dedicated IP address that maybe they meant dynamic. Do you suppose they don't mean dynamic, but just that, just that, uh, the IP address would be shared by a bunch of different web servers. Uh, that's what I assumed. And then it would use the, you know, HTTP 1.1 host header to disambiguate. Right. Right. So that's fine. I mean, if certainly if, if, uh, dream host can provide the IP address, he can just insert the A record into the zone at CenturyLink and, you know, everything else remains the same except that IP, that uh, A record points to an IP address that dream host uh, manages, right? Yeah, although I'm, I'm a little bit sympathetic to, to dream host. It's probably a lot easier to just, just do it themselves to tell people, look, you just have to host your DNS with us so they can get it right. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to doubt they have some sort of complicated dynamic IP provisioning system just because that sound, it, it just it, sounds complicated. Yeah, for a hosting service, you can't, I mean, on a web server, I don't think that would fly. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, they've got a dedicate, or I mean, they've got their own IP address space and probably just, just, just using it. You know, I mean, I doubt they're doing anything clever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. If they, if they were, or if, in fact, Jason really needed to, you know, have CenturyLink manage some part of his, uh, of, of his, his, uh, domain, then he could in fact carve out just the www domain name. He could delegate www.ctsd.k12.nj.us to, uh, to DreamHost and DreamHost would manage a zone that really contained just that single domain name in it. Mm -hmm. Which we should say is how a lot of, uh, Load balancing, uh, with load balancing systems. Let's say either whether they're a, a physical device acting like a name server or a, or a service. A lot, a lot of them work that way. They, uh, you know, you delegate a particular name to a set of name servers that actually are doing uh, what some people call stupid DNS tricks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, doing doing complicated things. You know, not just giving you a static answer, but uh, an answer that varies based on all kinds of criteria to attempt to send you to the the best place, quote unquote, best place to answer your question. Right. Does it matter that the people who, does it matter to the people who call those things stupid DNS tricks that there are basically entire industries built on those tricks? Probably not. 
<laughs> that is that is fairly strictly dogmatic, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you you can be as much of a purist as you want in your ivory tower, but the the rest of us will be trying to figure out how to get people to the best server to get them their content as quickly as possible. Yeah. Well, good. So that was a relatively straightforward question. I think so. And we have another one that, uh, well, let's see. Our listeners will be the judge. So um, this is from a guy named Chuck Nellis, who lists his title as Network Engineer. Hmm. What's uh, what's chp.edu? chp.edu. Give me a moment, and I will look it up. It is Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Oh, who knew? Yeah. Sounds like one of those legacy.edu's probably. Yeah, I guess they're a teaching hospital. Oh, okay. So anyway, Chuck asks us, our DNS slash DHCP administrators here sent out a message that they want to, quote, implement split DNS for several domains, end quote. What Mm -hmm. exactly are they talking about doing? Ah, well... The way that I would describe it is to say that split DNS is a setup where you have uh, two different namespaces, two different DNS namespaces for an organization. Um, Generally speaking, one of them is sort of the internal namespace, and the other one is the internet-facing namespace. And uh, often they will contain very different things. So, for example, the internal namespace would include address records for hosts on people's desktops and, you know, other things that you can only get to from inside the company or inside the organization. Uh, Whereas externally, you might find only uh, information about internet-facing resources like the organization's web server, mail server, name servers, and, and, and so on. And in the case that you have some objects that might exist both in the external uh, namespace and the internal namespace, uh, the data in the two different namespaces might might not be the same. In other words, you might have a domain name in the external namespace that would map to a, an internet registered or internet routable IP address, whereas internally it might map to an RFC 1918 internal address. Does that sound about right? That works for me. Uh, it's basically a way to well, a couple of things. As you say, you you can have different addresses for the same name depending on whether you're inside or, or outside uh, your, you know, typically your firewall, your security perimeter. Uh, and the other main thing that it allows is you, you just simply can not have to advertise the existence of all those internal host names. Right, right. I mean, ev- even if they are on private address space, just having them available that leaks a little bit of information about your about your setup, and since it's uh, infrastructure that you don't want anybody to get to anyway, why you know why why bother? Why make it even available? Yeah, exactly. And and I believe that RFC nineteen eighteen actually obliges you not to put a records in an internet uh, facing zone that point to RFC nineteen eighteen registered addresses, or not registered, but reserved addresses. Yes, and we all know what happens if you do. <laughs> The internet police will come. That's right. They will knock on your door. You don't want to deal with them. No one expects the internet police. Well, that took considerably less time than I thought it would, but I, I guess there's really not that not that much to it. Um, I guess we could talk about how you actually implement it. Yeah, that's. I was thinking the same thing, that it might be worth at least 
discussing at a high level how you set up split DNS. Yeah, well, I mean, so you, you do need two different versions of uh, the same zone. I mean, I would say split DNS implies that we're talking about the same zone name, you know, company.com, let's say, with two different sets of content depending on, you know, an, ex an external view and an internal view or, or version. Right, right. I agree with that. And so you need two sets of authoritative servers at the, uh, I would say that's the, probably the simplest way to do it. But you can, using uh, servers like Bind, you can do more complicated things. They, you know, the Bind, geez, how long has Bind had views? That goes all the way back to Bind 9, right? The very first Bind 9 had views? Yes, 9.0.0, I'm pretty sure, had, had views. Yeah, and, and so that lets you give different answers uh, based on various parameters, uh, but usually source IP address. Right, right. So you can have one name server that says, uh, if I receive a query for uh, company.example from one of my internal IP addresses, I'll answer it one way, and that is from this zone. Uh, if I uh, receive a query from any other IP address, that is any internet address, then I'll answer it from this other version of the zone. And that's pretty much that. I guess yet another comment on this would be that uh, sometimes it makes sense, like you could have uh, a third party, and I would say it probably often works this way, actually. You, you have uh, a third party, whether it be a managed DNS service provider or an appliance vendor, um, uh, hosting your external zones, external version of your zones, and then you have you know your own infrastructure Let's say maybe if you're a Microsoft shop, it would be Microsoft DNS servers uh, hosting the internal version of your zones. I would say that's probably a, a real common setup. Yeah, I think you're right. There are even some very large companies that do it that way. Good. All right. So this one, I believe, is mine again, right? So this, this next question comes from Michael Simone. And Michael says, Dear Mr. DNS, if you are starting up a brand new company with a clean infrastructure, with company.com as your external domain and int.company.com as your internal domain, would there be any reason to have any other internal subdomains ever? This all applies to internal domains in the enterprise uh, with a good internet connection and incremental and regular zone transfers. It seems that creating subdomains to alleviate zone transfers would not be much of a requirement. With modern tools to administer DNS, creating internal subdomains along administrative boundaries would also be unnecessary. Even with security control areas behind firewalls, I don't see why they would need a separate subdomain. This leaves Windows AD integrated DNS and dynamic updates. I fail to see why int.company.com would not be used for Windows for the Windows AD integrated servers too, uh, or maybe int.root.company.com, root.company.com would be the forest root with very few devices in it. I might be able to see creating more than one domain if the Windows AD domain had a lot of desktops and caused a large load on the servers due to dynamic updates. Then I might want to separate out all the non-Windows devices into a separate domain. Is there a requirement for multiple, <clears throat> rather if there is a requirement for multiple forests, then you have already decided to have multiple internal domains or subdomains and the question is moot. And then he says, he opines, also split zones are anathema. So there has to be a minimum of two domains for the company, externally company.com and internally int.company.com or whatever.tld. Another way to ask this question is, if I have a Windows AD integrated environment, 
Is there a practical need, either immediate or in the future, where I would want to separate out the Windows devices from all other devices into separate domains? Hmm. I think there's more than one question in there. Yeah, I think there there are. I have to start with this whole split zones or anathema thing. Don't. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I disagree. That's like uh, stupid DNS tricks. The ship has sailed on that. Yeah, I mean, lots and lots of organizations use exactly the same uh, internal domain name that they use externally, and you don't necessarily have to use a subdomain internally. Um, works perfectly well for you know a lot of companies. In fact, probably most of the companies in the Fortune 500. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, but he's he's on to something with the idea that. Um, I mean, he doesn't actually come out and, and say it by name, but I mean, uh, what we now call IP address management systems that, you know, typically are, uh, I, I guess the attributes I think of for that would be, uh, you've got a big database that has information about uh, all your networks and devices, and you've got a, a GUI on the front of it, and then you've got, uh, the, you've got some code that manages both name servers and DHCP servers typically. Is that... Uh, would you would you buy that? Is that a sufficiently uh, minimal uh, minimal description of IP address management? Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's good enough for our purposes here. Right. So when you have a system like that, uh, it makes it very straightforward to manage everything from one place. And such systems usually give you uh, the ability to control what different uh, users can do. Uh, you know, so you can handle uh, you can han handle uh, authorization in in that system, so you it, it can uh, sometimes eliminate the need to have separate zones to control what different organizations can do. So so the point is, you kind of take what uh, some problems that used to have to be solved by delegating zones, and and you move them out of DNS into the IP address management system, and it it also just takes the complexity out of it. So and and when you combine that versus you know, the servers have more memory. Uh, there's a lot more bandwidth now. You know, the idea of having a, a really complicated namespace internally for one organization simply to carve it up into zones to distribute things all over the place, that that's just not how people do it anymore. Would you, would you agree with that? I, I would. For, for that particular um, purpose, you know, divvying up a big namespace into zones in order to have... Uh, in order to separate administration, I think that you're right that if you have uh, a capable IP address management system, that's really unnecessary. I think that there are other reasons that you might have multiple zones. Um, for example, you might have uh, significantly different functionality uh, with different sets of authoritative name servers. So, you know, there are still companies that might use, say, bind name servers and Microsoft DNS servers and maybe uh, a bunch of load balancers as well, that is DNS-based load balancers internally. And so you might run certain zones on the Microsoft DNS servers to take advantage of AD integration and, um, you know, support for GSS TSIG or secure dynamic update, if you prefer. Um, you might delegate certain zones that uh, are made up of domain names that need to be load balanced to the DNS-based load balancers. I think that would be a, you know, one reason that you might still have multiple zones, but, but a lot of the reasons that we've traditionally uh, recommended multiple zones, I think don't, they don't hold water anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I, I think that's probably it for that one too, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. The only thing I'd the only the only other thing I'd mention there is that, um, you know, with with the uh, popularity of Active Directory, and I think we saw this at sort of the end of, of Acme, our, our tenure at Acme Byte and Wire, we'd see more and more and more big companies that had just big big monolithic domains because Active Directory kind of pushes you in that direction. Yeah, it was it was just easier. You just weren't weren't uh, fighting the system. Right, exactly. You had a single AD domain, and consequently, you put most of your stuff in it, and it was just too too complicated for people to wrap their minds around the idea that, you know, to get to a different resource, you'd have to specify a different fully qualified domain name. I have seen what he refers to, though, uh, segregating the AD zones, uh, the AD zone singular se separately. Yes. And, uh, you know, so you could have, like, a parent, a parent zone maybe run on bind servers or something, you know, non-Microsoft, and that delegates to a, uh, delegates to an AD managed zone. I think that's, I've seen that in more than one place. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly, that's certainly pretty common, you know, I would say, putting my Infoblox hat on that, you know, with Infoblox appliances and actually probably many of our competitors' appliances, you can have uh, bind-based name servers that support GSS TSIG and, you know, handle dynamic updates from Windows clients just fine, so you don't have to resort to that necessarily. But in in some cases, um, you know that decision was made back in the dark days before uh, solutions like that existed. So you know you you have a legacy setup that has exactly the the configuration that you described. Alrighty. So we have one more that we wanted to get to in this episode, and this is from uh, Matt Pounsett. Uh, who is at Affilius and a, a friend of mine. He and I were on the uh, DNS OARC board together for a while. All right. I certainly know Matt's name. I'm not sure if we've met. He was at, uh, he was at uh, CIRA, the .ca registry, for a long time. Right, right. The, yeah, yeah, the Canadian TLD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So he writes, uh, Dear Mr. DNS, when I was starting out as a junior system admin, I was often warned by more experienced admins not to run mixed-mode DNS servers. And by that, he means running authoritative and recursive service in the same process. But I was never given a clear reason why. The best most people could tell me was, quote, it causes problems, end quote, and leave it at that. Later on, I learned that the problems stemmed from gaps in the RFCs where it was never envisioned that a DNS server would run in both modes, and so the behavior in certain circumstances is unspecified. For example, a mixed-mode DNS server can't know whether it should answer a particular query out of cache or not, which can be a problem when trying to answer a query about a child zone where the server in question is authoritative for the parent but not the child. Should it answer with a delegation, in other words, a referral, uh, or should it try to answer out of the cache? There's a similar but more serious issue when DNSSEC is involved and the server has to try to decide whether to answer with authoritative data or to try to validate data in its cache and respond with those results. Over the years, I've found a few of these examples, but I've never seen an exhaustive list written down anywhere. It can be very difficult, particularly for new admins, to figure out the problems just from reading RFCs. That's an understatement. <laughs> uh, yep. Do you know of other conditions where mixed mode is a problem? This could be useful information for less experienced admins, particularly if they are trying to convince someone why they should spend more money on separate name servers. Thanks for the great podcast, Matt Thompson. Hmm. That's a tough one. You know, I was thinking about it as I was listening to you read it. And I, I remember having conversations. I, I remember a specific conversation I had about the dangers of, 
you know, recursive slash authoritative name servers with uh, Paul Vixie, I'm pretty sure. And I remember he gave me uh, an example. It may have been the, the authoritative for the parent zone, but not the child zone example that Matt cited. And uh, I remember nodding vigorously, and then I probably promptly forgot it, <laughs> unless it was ex exactly that particular uh, example. Well, I wonder if this was, this could be another one of those things. I mean, I feel like a couple times in this episode, we've talked, we've touched on things rather where uh, people, people did one thing, did, did things a certain way in the past, but then circumstances changed and, you know, in, in more than just DNS, why it's easy to just keep doing things the way you've always done them. Right. And I, w I wonder if this might be at least partially uh, the situation here. So if we think back to the bad old days of, uh, of bind eight, early bind eight, and no, I take that back. I, credibility, pre-credibility. I want to say credibility came in uh, bind 4.9. I think that yeah. was one of the big things yeah. that, that was the difference. So the really bad old days, the bind early bind four days, um, the bind in particular, the... Uh, the the cache and authoritative data was all kind of mushed together and there wasn't really good uh, separation. And so I could definitely imagine problems that would be caused if you had this sort of stew of, of data without good separation and you, you had cache data mingled in there with authoritative data. And then there, there, there could be a, a real worry that you could get, uh, have a bad guy induce your uh, the recursive portion of your server to look up stuff that could, I don't know if it could occlude authoritative data, but then again, it was so, things were so bad. Yeah. Or at <laughs> least, know. at least augmented, right? Right, at, at the very least, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, but that, I think, is, is practically impossible in a, at least in a modern bind server. I think there's there's much, much better segregation. Uh, so I, I think that, do, do you agree with me on that one, that that could be uh where at least some of this comes from. Yeah, another sort of vestigial practice. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. But that being said, I mean, certainly to my, um, you know, kind of obsessive compulsive personality, the, the idea of the segregation of roles, it's certainly very appealing uh, from an aesthetic standpoint. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Matt points out that for DNSSEC, it's, it's pretty important. Um, you know, if you've got a name server that's doing validation, if it really is sort of a caching-only name server, it'll validate absolutely everything. Whereas if it's authoritative for one or more zones, it won't validate uh, the responses it gives from those authoritative zones. I guess some would argue, why should it? Because it's g presumably getting those authoritative zones from some trusted place, either via like a TSIG signed zone transfer or directly off of the file system. But if you really wanted to, to cryptographically validate everything, then it has to be basically uh, caching-only. Mm -hmm. I never, uh, I never thought of that angle, but you're you're absolutely right on that. Um, I've never thought about that corner case that he describes here. Um, you know, where you have mixed authoritative and uh, cache data, and the validator has to decide what to do. Um, yeah, I got to think about that. I, I, th I think, I don't think there's any, uh, any murky area though. I think. In other words, I think it's always deterministic what to do. Yeah, I, I, I think that you're right after the advent of, of credibility. And undoubtedly, if we're wrong, somebody will, will <laughs> you know, write in and yell at us. Or they're screaming at the radio right now. <laughs> radio. <laughs> I guess they're not screaming at the radio. Um, but, 
but yeah, uh, uh, you know, with credibility, you pretty much have a, a, a real honest to goodness, um, um, you know, well-defined credibility level for, for, you know, any data from any source. So they, they should, you know, there should always be a, a, a hierarchy. Is credibility covered in DNS and bind? I, I think so. Yeah, I, th I think we covered credibility. I, I seem to remember mentioning it. <laughs> I hope I did. <laughs> if, if not, there's something for the sixth edition. Exactly. <laughs> not like we're, we have any lack of things for the sixth edition. Well, I'd, I'd say that's a, that's a full podcast episode. Yeah, yeah. I think we did okay. Four questions, four answers, or you could argue maybe even more answers than four. Um, but uh, I guess we, we did an, an okay job of it. Should we put in a plug for uh, for your employer's um, um, geek summer camp? Can people can just anybody come to that, or, or do you have to have an invitation? Uh, just anybody can come. However, it's getting kind of down to the wire, and I think I think it's uh, oversubscribed at this point. So oh, well, that's too bad. That's yeah. too bad. But anyway, that uh, it, it is geek summer camp, and there's a uh, an all star lineup, including my co host. Uh, speaking, it's August seventh and eighth. I should I should know. Uh, is it Geek Summer? Yeah. Uh, that sounds right to me. It's Wednesday, Thursday, I believe. Yes, seventh yeah. August seventh and eighth. Yeah. So, and 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 far more august personages than. Yours truly are going to be speaking too. Dean Kamen is going to be speaking, and that should be—I think—that should be pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing him. Yeah, that's—he's Mr. Segway for those who may not know, and he's a Manchester. I don't know if he's a Manchester native, but he certainly has his uh, his his business headquartered in Manchester, in the Mill Yard, in the same uh, group of old mill buildings that have all been redone. Yeah, um, yeah. I ran right past it uh, uh, last time I was staying there. Speaking of running, I, I understand there's a 5K happening. At around the time of Geek Summer Camp? Yeah, I was I was told. I was uh, enlisted in, into maybe wearing a dying t-shirt and running around. Yeah, I, I, w I was enlisted as well, so uh, I'll have to bring my running shoes such as they are that, uh, that trip. Yeah, yeah. I think it should be fun. Yeah, I um, never run a 5K. Oh, well. I can run 5K, certainly. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can. A 5K is pretty... Uh, Pretty pretty easy. What uh, what's that in uh, real distance? <laughs> it's three miles and change. Three point one. Yeah, maybe. Right. Uh, let's ask the Google. Three point one miles. Is that what you just said? Three, you yeah. said three miles and change. Yeah. Yeah, I said three point three point well, one. I can, I I can do that. that. Yeah. Yeah. The only question is is the pace. Hmm. I run very leisurely when I run, <laughs> as if no one is chasing me. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I really, I could, I could probably run all afternoon, but it, I just run at like a 14-minute pace, which I know sounds luxuriously slow, but I'm mm. still tired when I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a great workout. What, uh, what's your pace typically when you go out for a run? Uh, my pace per per mile? Yeah. Oh, it kind of depends on whether I'm running by myself or whether I'm running with someone. I think my my regular pace is between a nine and a 10-minute mile. That's so six miles per hour to a little bit over six. Yeah, I mean that—that's very respectable. That—that's moving right along. 
hey, for an old guy, I'm, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm okay with that. You know, I know a lot of people run a lot faster than that, but I'm always amazed at these, uh, you know, these these runners, the 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 uh, highly competitive marathon runners who can run 26.2 miles in like two hours. I that I mean, that's just astounding to me. You're running at a 13 mile per hour pace. I couldn't run a 13 mile per hour pace. I think for any length of time, I don't know that I could reach 13 miles per hour anymore. That's like uh, it's like a four, a little more than a four, a little slower than a four-minute mile. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. And that used to be, I mean, four-minute mile used to be the gold standard for one mile, much right. less twenty-six point two miles. <laughs> oh, that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Do you read uh, um, uh, the Oatmeal that comic? No, I don't. Oh, I don't yeah. think we have it. Uh, oh, it's a, well, it's a it's a oh, it's a web, web comic. Web comic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, he's a guy named Matt Inman. He's had you know a fair amount of success, and he's uh, I didn't know this about him. He's an ultra marathoner, so he he wrote I think literally just today he, he tweeted at the last last comic that he I mean, he tends to issue it's not a strip it's these big massive comic comics that come you know of every so often, and his most recent one is about running, and it, it's kind of interesting. It's just about what running means to him and how much he likes it. And yeah, I'll take a look. Yeah, there's a. We, we have a, a, a guy who's a, a customer of ours, and, and I would say a friend of mine uh, named Patrick Piper. Very, very nice guy. And I didn't learn until um, pretty, pretty late in our friendship, I guess, from his, uh, from his wife that he's a, a really, really uh, advanced runner. And he lives up in Park City, Utah, and he runs these crazy steeplechases with you know, thousands of meters and you know, elevation gain and, and drop and, uh, and all this. And of course, he's incredibly humble about it. I was in Denver with him, and I, I had gone for a quick run at uh, Washington, uh, Washington Park and <laughs> you know, probably went two or three miles and, and that had had it because of the elevation. And I had dinner with him, I think, that, that same day. And and uh, he said, oh, I wish you'd called me. I would have gone running with you. <laughs> and I thought, that's the, the last thing you want and probably the last thing I want, too. <laughs> but it was, it was awfully charitable of him. Well, you want to take us out? Sure thing. Uh, as always, thank you very, very much for your questions. We'd love to get more, and uh, we promised to try to do a better job of answering them in a timely fashion, you can submit them at MrDNS, that is M-R-D-N-S, at ask-mrdns.com. And we will hope to be back with you sooner rather than later. Yeah, let's just say soon. Soon. That's right. That's right. Anyway, uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next time.